solution. The Buddha put it very simply, not to look for the solution outside of ourselves, because we won't find it. If we do, it'll be very temporary. And the Buddha at one point spoke about certain outstanding qualities of mind, which give us a direction. And the direction of course, takes us back inward. It's not how to make the world better, but how to train the mind, not to dwell in suffering. That pretty much sums it up. And if we can remember any of his lists, and there are multiple lists, but I just chose a few qualities that I thought would be good to mention, because... Really, the solution has to be moment by moment. Moment by moment, we can deal with. We can't really do the future. We can't do the past because it's finished. But what we can do is work with the present moment. What are we feeling now and how can we bring that to peace, to well-being, to a sense of worth of joy, of gratitude. The mind needs happiness. It needs a sense of well-being to be well. And if the mind can be well with a little bit, it doesn't have to be a solution for the whole world because we cannot change the world. No matter what we do, we could cut off our hands and feet. It would do no good. We can starve ourselves. It would do no good. What can we do for the world? We can do for the world what we can do with our minds. So if the mind is well, then we can spread well-being wherever we are. We may not have much ability to spread it, but... If we're not well within us, then we're just eating the disease, dis-ease of the world. And it does become harder because we're all hooked into the world. The Buddha also tells us that just as much as we cannot find the solution to the suffering of the world, We cannot find our own happiness in the world. Our happiness has to come from within us. 
So we also have to recognize the suffering of this body-mind. And how do we do that? We just take one moment and our sample, let's be scientific, if you take one sample, like if you study one cell under a microscope or one piece of bamboo, famous analogy, then you know the nature of cells, cellular nature, and you know the nature of bamboo. So in that way, using the great standards of the Buddha, if we study our mind, our own mind, then we know the nature of mind. Just like doctors, when students study in medical school, they use a book which describes the human body, and that book describes all human bodies. So we all have similar features, and certain foods are good for that, and certain medicines cure diseases, because every body, every body and every body, will respond in more or less similar ways. If we eat, we get calories. And so the diet of the mind is the same way. If we know the nature of the mind, we know what kind of food to feed it. But we are ignorant, and we don't really know the nature of our own mind. So the Buddha's teaching emphasizes, how can I know the nature of the mind? And the only way to know it is not by studying the world, but by turning the stethoscope inwardly. And that's what we do when we meditate. We try to listen. What is my condition? What's going on in here? How, how is this mind? What's the weather? As Canadians or residents of Canada, but it's not about citizenship. It's about knowing what foods are available. In different countries, different foods. And here in Canada, we're used to colder weather, hot dishes in the winter, colder dishes in the summer, like that, or certain foods that grow here. But for the human condition, the food for the mind that leads to well-being is universal. It doesn't matter if you're from Brazil, or from Cameroon, or from New Zealand, it doesn't matter. Whatever brings well-being into the heart is available to each one of us, and it's free. Not only is it free, the supply of those ingredients are endless. They are infinitely available to us. So what's the problem? The problem is that the mind is untrained. Not only is it untrained, but we have a lot of kilesas, or defilements, which do not help that mind. It keeps it in a condition of anxiety, restlessness, grasping, greed, wanting more of whatever we can get. And we're always faced with the world to get it from. But if we stop and listen and examine our own condition, we start to see the origin of our suffering. First of all, we see our suffering. This mind is not working. It's not well. It's anxious. It's worried. It's 
extending itself outward all the time and feeding off a bigger worry, which is the world. But we have to come back to realize where our happiness can be found. And even if the world was in peace and harmony, all, everyone, was happy and harmony, getting enough of everything, we would still have an untrained mind and we would still be anxious about our children. Will I be famous? Will I be rich? <laughs> this is what my mother said to me. Kesara <laughs> sara. This be wise. Whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Kesara sara. But into that formula we insert a heart that is at peace with whatever happens. It's whatever will be, will be, but right here and now, how am I? What is the problem? It's the mind is untrained and it's going to the world and feeding on panic, anxiety, restlessness. It feeds on situations, conditions outside of ourselves over which we have no control. But what can we control? The untrained mind. We can train it. Absolutely we can train it. How do we train it? By listening. By meditating. Meditation is a very simple act. It's really like a weather checker. You just, for a moment, stop and listen and do a little self-check. Where is the mind? And it's in Egypt, it's in the Middle East, it's in Ukraine, it's wherever. You roll it back in, here and now, this breath, one breath, one moment of presence. And into that moment of presence, we insert certain qualities. One of them is self-restraint. It's a way of teaching like you teach a dog or a cat or a bird. We teach ourselves, or a baby. Remember what we were like when we were babies? Just sitting there and looking around. If watch other babies and we can see, well, we must have done that. I remember being in kindergarten and rolling up on a little blanket with the other kids. And we were all content to sleep on the floor. No longer. Contentment. So it's not that we would have chosen that, but that's what was available. So we just went with it. We're making peace with what is there, present moment. And that's a form of generosity. It's a form of patience. It's a form of self-restraint. We're not saying, I don't want to lie down here. I want a bed. We didn't say that. We just obeyed. So that's a little training. You listen to the teacher. Now we're grown up. We have to teach ourselves. And also, how do we make peace with the conditions that we have? Do we have enough food? Do we have enough water? Do we have enough heat? Then why is the mind complaining? And we remind ourselves of what is good, what is blessing. Here and now, we bring the mind back to this moment, this breath, breathing in, breathing out, 
It's a moment of well-being. One moment of well-being is already a good place to sit. It's enough. And it conditions the next moment. You might think it's insignificant. But it has enough weight to give us the momentum to meet the next moment well. And if you add up two moments of well-being, three moments of well-being, moments of well-being, you have four or five moments of well-being. Into that formula, we have to put truth. What's true about this moment? The truth is, it's okay. Just for a moment. I'm breathing, alive, the mind is okay, the heart is okay for a moment, and we just know that, acknowledge it. It's like putting a deposit in the bank account. But this account here is the primary account. It's the food for the mind. It's not food on the table, but it's the primordial food for the heart to be well. For the heart to know that it can be well in the most simple way. And realizing that happiness is to be found in this organism here. This is the root, the origin of the happiness. The suffering begins in here also. The suffering that we experience does not begin in the bombs outside of us. There are explosions happening within us. There are explosions of fear, explosions of anxiety, explosions in the form of I want, and you can fill in the blank. I want to know, I want to go, I want to be, fill in the blank. I want to be happy. What are we experiencing now? Just to make a little capsule moment of time, a capsule of uh, ability that we enable the mind to rest in this moment. We're resting, we're appreciating, we're knowing the truth of this moment. And if we're suffering, we know that suffering, and we understand that which knows the anxiety is not anxious. That which knows the happiness is not happiness. It's just the knowing. Because the anxiety and the happiness are impermanent. But the knowing of those qualities, that's what we're taking refuge in. And that's a skill of this faculty of mind. It's a faculty. It's an energetic field that enables us to know whatever arises within us is impermanent. It arises and ceases. The time arises and ceases. Suffering arises and ceases. Joy arises and ceases. So, this is a very important knowledge, because if it's impermanent, why don't we feed that energetic space, that which gives it health, instead of that which gives it sorrow or suffering? And if we can practice this moment by moment, because the knowing faculty is always able to know what the weather is, you may not be able to change 
the weather outside, just like we cannot change the world, but we can change our mental diet. As soon as we see the weather not good, we insert a beautiful weather by recalling, remembering with mindfulness, I can be happy with this much. This little piece of floor, this little bit of food, this little bit of friendship. In fact, that is the greatest friendship that we can have because it's friendship with the awakened mind. And the awakened mind is the Buddha. The Buddha is here within us. We're not talking about a historical being, but about the gift of that historical being, which is the ability for us to free ourselves from our own suffering here and now in this moment, kesara sara. But here, we bring to that the knowing quality, which is restrained, and it's true to itself. And it knows itself because we're mindful. We're, the mind is full of this present moment awareness. And in that awareness, we are powerful. We're like a lithium battery. It's charged. It gives off a beautiful current from which we can walk and move and dance and chant and be happy and be well and bring wellness to everyone, no matter what. Even if the terrorist shows up here and points a rifle, we go to that awareness. We want to bring the best possible quality of mind to our last moment. Why not? I forgive you. May you be well. May you not pull the trigger because it's bad karma. <laughs> Don't want to kill anyone. But if you must, can there be forgiveness? Can there be peace with that? That is the best solution. It's the hardest thing to do. But that's not any reason why we should give all our effort to that to try again and again, if we do nothing else in our life but forgive the conditions that we have to face, the old age, the sickness, the dying, the dying around us, the explosive conditions of human beings in the world, the destruction, the horror of this world. Because along with that, there is also the compassion, and the serving of human beings who want to face the worst conditions to help others, who want to rescue in the most impossible conditions themselves and other beings. There are doctors, there are nurses, there are drivers, there are people that are doing impossible work to help others in distress including their own children. There are parents whose children have been killed, whose children are destroying themselves with drugs, who face suffering that is unimaginable. And this has been going on forever, from time immemorial. It's not just in this age. We've lived through a very golden period, actually, until recently pretty common 
not much, and then COVID comes along, and, and then, and then, and then, it doesn't stop. But we can stop it here within. That's the gift. We restrain the mind. We teach the mind again and again. It's not like you learn it and then you do it. It's a, an ongoing training to see the suffering and come back to the ending of it. Because it's impermanent. It's just a weather system going through our consciousness. Because we too are on a journey. We have to put the body down. In what state will we put the body down? We have no control over the bodies of even our own children and their lives and what they do. So we teach them as much as we can and then we abide in the knowledge of our own mind. Where is it? How is this condition? What can we add to it? What kind of ingredients can we pour into this moment? And that will be for our rescue, for our benefit, patience. This work that we want to do doesn't happen like that. It takes decades, lifetimes. But we begin now where we are. And here we are, listening, practicing, coming of an afternoon to try again. It's so much more powerful when we sit in a group. We reinforce each other, but at home, there's the fridge, there's the devices, there's the, the kitty cat, there's places to go and people to meet and things to do and see. Restless. So we don't stop as much as we want to, and we put it off. I'll do it later, and then it doesn't happen. And then the world encroaches, and we feel too scared, too tired, too worried, too anxious to sit. Because, because what? Because the world is a mess. But last century, there were two major world wars, and how many zillions of people were murdered? How many atrocities were committed? Don't even count unaccountable. And it didn't, it doesn't stop there. Every century had its millions or its percentages of beings being thrown to the dogs or the, the lions or executed, hung, tortured, burnt at the stake or in whatever way. So much atrocity committed. And who even thinks of that? But human beings are just full of greed, hatred, and delusion, untrained. And then a trained human being, you look at the Buddha, how many beings during his lifetime became arhans, anagamis, sakadagamis, sotpanas, four stages of enlightenment? Many, many. And 2,023 years later, the wheel of this truth is still turning, and people are practicing for that with no cell phone, no device, that's what he was able to do. That came from a mind that was trained, that was controlled, patient, generous, compassionate, energetic, a knower of truth. 
So we praise the Buddha. But it's not enough to praise him. We must follow him, follow in his footsteps. And it's a silent following. It isn't something that we follow and say to everyone, I'm a follower. (laughs) We just do it. And they might even criticize us. What is that? It's just that this teaching is difficult to grasp, difficult to understand. But those of us that have come this far, let us use these tools as best we can, not to convince other people, but just to convince our own minds where to be when things feel terrible, how to hold the mind when the misery is too great, how to face our own sickness, our own ill health, our own kilesas, our own defilements, and the defilements of the world, how to forgive all that and come back to what we can grow and improve on right here in our own hearts. In this piece of bamboo, we can find true love, true compassion, true forgiveness, and true peace. Andamayam dhamakita sadhikaram dhamase sadhikaram